You are listening to Anamkara, a podcast about the spiritual journey and what makes us human. Anamkara is a soul friend, a person with whom you can share your deepest thoughts, feelings, and dreams with. In this podcast, I will share my journey as well as occasionally have guests from myriad different religions and walks of life. And for a time, we walk together and learn from each other's journey. So come along with us and be an Anamkara, a soul friend. Do you believe in luck, destiny, fate? There are myths and practices in every culture that highlight some, if not all, of these things. And as we have just moved through this Yule season and prepared to enter a new year, I pause to consider how lucky I've been. I may sometimes use the word blessed, but really I'm speaking to my fate and journey this far. For me, it's realizing how important family and loved ones are to me and curiosity where my journey will lead. In today's episode, I interview Flora Elmore, who talks about luck, what it is and what it is not, and the companion who accompanies Lady Luck. I first came across Flora through our common interest in certain areas of magic. Back then we called her Flora Luck, and in my mind, she'll always be the luck lady. The group I had founded, the Black Key Society, brought her down a couple of times to provide all-day workshops to friends and allied groups from all over the state coming in attendance. Powerful and delicious magic and teachings had each of us walking away with practices that still affect us to this day. Flora has been known as the good luck lady for over 20 years, helping people fix their bad luck and expand their good luck. She's a teacher, witch, spiritual medium, reader, and priestess to the goddess. Flora has spent her life interviewing sacred arts practitioners to better understand how they use magical technology and methods to improve the world around them. And it is through these experiences that she found that she is gifted at working luck technology and has since dedicated her time to refining her skills and practices. Flora recently moved back to the Oklahoma City area with her husband and little dog, Iggy Pup. So without further ado, please enjoy the interview with Flora Luck. Well, Flora, thank you so much for being here. It is such an honor to see you again here on Zoom. Pats, it's been too long and I miss you guys. I miss I miss looking at your awesome ginger face. Well, and, and you know, we were just talking. It's funny. We we talk. We're like, oh, we need another. We need to have floor down again. We need to have floor down again. I was like, she lives here now. She lives here, so it's kind of exciting. We, um, well, I've been thinking about just opening the house up and having people come and and have skills day training. Oh my gosh, that would be amazing. That would be so much fun. I think it would be fun. Well, Flora, tell tell our listeners who are you? What what was your growing up like? We'll start there. What was your growing up? Okay, so um, my growing up, I grew up in Texas. I'm from Texas and I have that Texas attitude where everything is bigger and better because I feel like I'm bigger and better in a lot of ways. So, But um, I grew up with parents who we really didn't go to church. We went to a couple of uh, my dad's Baptist. He's died in the wool Baptist. 
my mother's Catholic and my dad, we went to church a couple of times, but they always brought me back from Sunday school saying she asked too many questions, please go home. And uh, my parents were just hardworking middle-class Americans and I went to high school like everybody else. I was the nerdy girl and went off to college and um, I graduated with a degree in music therapy, then went off to live in Arkansas for a hot minute and do some internship work and then moved to Oklahoma City. And I was here when the bombing happened and I ended up writing a lot of the question or the not questions, but a lot of the programs that helped uh, with music therapy for the folks that were in the bombing. And while I was in, right before I moved to Oklahoma City, I got to meet a lady, her name was Mabel Evans, and she was my very first witch teacher. And I was working in a nursing home as a music therapist on an Alzheimer's unit. And she had the greatest cackle and she smoked like a chimney and she wore the most revealing clothes and flirted with all of the patients, guys and gals. And I was like, when I grow up, I want to be like her without the smoking. And so I asked her one day, she'd taken like this really long weekend. And I said, well, what'd you do? And she goes, I was at, um, I, I was at a witch party. And I was like, a what? And she told me and I was like, all right, this is even better. Because growing up, I dressed up as a witch and a gypsy all the time. And I know gypsy is an offensive word to a lot of people. But when you're a little girl, you don't know that that's an offensive word. And I wore the big giant uh, hoe hoops, you know, that I thought psychics are supposed to wear when they read tarot cards. And I'm five years old with giant hoops in my ears and my head wrapped up and telling people's fortunes on the side of the road, like a preacher stands and preaches at a corner. And so when Mabel said, hey, I, you know, I was at this, I was at a coven event and my interest peaked and I wanted to know more about it. And come to find out the Holiday Inn that they were having their big event at was right behind my dad's gas station. My dad owned a filling station. So I would walk to my dad's filling station when I was a little girl. So I thought, I'm just going to stop by dad's place today and see how things are going. And then just walk right back there and find out what's going on. And so Mabel stayed friends with me for a long time and she shared like her spells and her formularies with me over the years. She passed away, oh, it's been years ago. It was right oh, about the time my daughter turned five. And so uh, when we moved to Oklahoma City, I got to know some people in the community and studied with a few people and then moved to San Antonio. And it really blew up then for me and my husband. We studied with the Sibling Order of uh, teaching witches and I went through the second degree with them and that was an experience because it really taught me how to teach occultism. There's a whole other stuff, a lot of stuff in between all of this because I'm a ceremonial magician. So when you move to Arkansas, there's not a lot to do. <laughs> <laughs> and there used to be a place called Sparrowhawk Village here in Oklahoma, near Tahlequah, Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. A whole bunch of those elders that lived up there were teachers of mine. And I studied with Jim Gornowski and uh, his Kabbalah work. And I studied that for years and years and years. And that was really like the fundamental uh, information that I got in magical thinking and technology and the study of magical technology and planetary magic. And so that's my core work. But actually, you know, getting to know people in the community really grew me too. 
And Jim challenged me to interview as many people as possible and to learn their stories. So all along these places that we've lived, all I've done is interview local, you know, um, healers. Sometimes they didn't label themselves as anything. And just, I would go and witness what kind of work that they would do for people. And I would take notes about it. And I'm now unpacking some of those notes. And I'm like, what did I mean by that? <laughs> I was 21 years old. What did I mean by that? Um, but anyway, we moved to San Antonio and uh, I ended up, my husband and I bought a house down there and our house became the safe house for pagans who wanted to meet and have circle uh, either sky clad or not. I didn't care if you wanted to wear a horn on your head. We didn't care, but we had a really large backyard that was safe. And so I would cook for whoever was coming and we could all have a meal together. And if they didn't want me to participate in their circle because it was private, I did not care. I wish I really acted more of a guardian for that and held that space for um, six years before we moved again to tiny Grove, Oklahoma. And that whole process was to teach me to be a better solitary practitioner and to really go deep into my work as a luck practitioner. Because that's been like this like weird interest. I was a voyeur for a really long time and watching people play gambling games and luck work and all that. So um, I sat back and watched and took notes. And over the years, I started to see some patterns in it. So then I really started investigating how luck works in people's lives. And <clears throat> I um, started writing people all around the world about the way they make a charm. Why did they do this? Why is this in your museum? Can I see a picture of it? Can you meet over the internet? Skype was, when Skype was first a big thing, I was all into Skyping museum people and asking them questions about the charms that they would find in different burial sites. and because they had some characteristics that made them more of as a luck thing than a burial charm based on what they were made out of and started to collect some really fantastic stories and started putting it into my practice. And that's where I got to where I'm at today. I have other practices that I'm, I'm a practitioner of Santeria and I keep that to myself and it's kind of private, but it's there and it does impact what I do. And I am very devoted to that. And my teacher is still in San Antonio. So that's kind of it wrapped in a box there. <laughs> and with these practices, would you, if you had a generic label, would it be witch? Would it be, I know that's hard. It is really nope. hard. I have claimed that and people ask me and I say, oh yeah, I'm 100% witch. My family even knows to buy me wine glasses that says, yes, she's that witch. I have lots of witchy things here at the house, even though I wrestle with that term for myself, just because so many of the books I read and things like that, they still often refer to them as women. You know, it's, it's frustrating sometimes. Come on. Yeah, but I haven't found Never that. believe that it has a gender. Right. I think it's a spirit. It's an archetype. Well, I don't even like the word archetype, but it's the truth. So just face it. Yeah, I. it is who you are and I've always believed that a witch is somebody who does what needs to be done when it needs to be done right. so if it's the hard phone calls of telling somebody that someone's passed away I always see the witch step up and say I'll make those phone calls or it's the elder who needs to have their house cleaned I always see the witch stand up and say I'll help them clean their house I always that's I can and they may not call themselves witches they may call themselves prayerful people 
but they have some kind of energy moving inside them that they can bend they can bend the situation so that it turns out a lot more positive for whoever they're helping they tend to be helper people have you ever read the book uh, waking the witch by pam grossman I have not. She also has a podcast called The Witch Wave, but she talks a lot of, she's a witch, but she also talks about the archetype of the witch and reclaiming that. And it's really beautiful. And it's, it came out just in the past couple of years. Um, it's almost like for another generation, but it really talks about, you know, the things we see and how do we reclaim ourselves. And it's very much along those same lines of what you're talking about. Not always people that may claim the word witch, but there's a certain way of being. Right. And that that tends to fall in there. Well, they, I think they also take on a responsibility of witnessing when people are making an oath or making a promise to do something. We, for some reason, we seem to be there to witness it and hold those people accountable later. But we're gentle about it unless we have to like smash something and say, stop it. You said no, you weren't <laughs> going to do this and you made a law about it. What are you talking about? So. <clears throat> um. What is what does your practice look like? Like what's a, what's a week look like or a day look like? I don't know if there's daily practices you do or regular. So um, every morning I get up and I light a candle and I invoke. I call it invoking my connection to the source, mm-hmm. um, and I wait after I've done that invocation until. I feel that connection. Some days it's instant and some days I don't feel it all day long. (laughs) And I think, what did I do? I must not have done, you know, I'm too preoccupied and in my head is usually, it's not that I feel like deities like, hey, fuck you, get away. I'm not gonna talk to you today. It's nothing like that. It's more along the lines of, I'm too distracted that I'm missing the, I'm missing the touch. I'm missing the sacredness. I'm missing my breath connection to that. So there is a daily practice and I reach out to that moment when creation started and I tap into that and own that I'm part of that creation story. And then I do have a system and this is a good time of year to do this. I sit down and look at when certain things are happening astrologically. And I look at when luck is going to be hit based on when my astrology chart is. And luck isn't me going to the casino and winning big or me, you know, finding a hundred dollar bill on the floor. Yeah, it is that sometimes, but that's not what luck is. Luck is knowing when the opportunity is right in front of you and when to say yes or no. It's more about risk and really being um, tied to your intuition enough to know if this is the right thing for you or not. And there's some people who are so head blind to it. They miss the opportunities their money disappears overnight. They have no idea what happened to it. Their love life sucks. It's totally in the gutter because they missed the opportunity of the really awesome person right in front of them. So what would a charm then, if you had a luck charm, what would that do? Would it increase the possibilities or increase your- It amplifies it. It amplifies your, it amplifies all the things that resonate and are in alignment with what you desire. So if what you're desiring is, I want to be rich, which is what I get a lot from people when they come over and I start, they're like, I want to be rich. I want to win the lottery. And it's like, me too. And I have won some lotteries, but not like the $30 million one. But um, 
I'll sit down with people and, and I start to talk to them and they really don't know what they want. They're all over the board. So the charm is actually like a binding. It binds them to what their true desire is and to help them manifest that. And then it like turns the radio dial on for Lady Luck and Good Fortune and all the deities that touch into that, even the Archangel Bar uh, Barakiel, to turn and pay attention. We're like, this guy right here, he's really asking. He says he's ready and really wants this girl to be in his life or someone better for him. So for me, I just actually made six luck charms. And I do this for clients who will call or people who really just seem to be stuck. I have this system where I sit down and I break down when those luck days are in a month. And I've written um, nine rituals that go with each of those days. And then I really focus on those clients and unlocking those, the capacity to have luck in that area in their life. So there's financial responsibility, there's investment responsibility, there's general money drawing, there's uh, luck, and then there's like longevity with friendships because so much of luck revolves around other people and the connection with other people. Right. And if someone is extremely introverted and never leaves their house, they miss a lot of opportunities. And I'm not saying people have to be extroverted to be lucky because that isn't true at all. My daughter's an extreme introvert, but she's lucky as shit, man. I'm like, rub that off on me sometimes. But um, it's it's helping those people. It's unlocking it. Because I'll start to talk to the people. We kind of interview a little bit of what's going on in their life. And I'll say, why do you feel you're, you're blocked there? What's the obstacle? And there is technology in it. There's technology in seeing where in their aura it's blocked what pattern in their life it could be an astrological event that's blocking them like a saturn return that's a big one but we'll sit down and talk about it we'll work it out but those rituals are meant to overcome that obstacle and break it apart and it's more than a road like a road opener kind of thing because a lot of the clients i feel bad for them and i tell them the shit's about to hit the fan because I'm about to unlock a bunch of stuff and you say you're ready for it, but are you sure? Are you sure that you're ready for all your friends to show up at your house? Are you sure you're ready for uh, people to cat call you because they think you're fine because that's what you want? Are you really sure? And uh, they start to notice pretty immediately, they'll have like a really good thing happen to them. And then it just seems like everything spirals down into this weird stuff. And they get to this weird place where we hit where they're really ashamed and that I don't know there's a connection between shame and luck but they hit this place where they may be really really ashamed they're either ashamed about their body image or the way they handle money or the way they've treated people in the past and so they don't have a really good love connection um, they're ashamed of the way they live and they've just lived with it like they've just tolerated it and so luck is an amazing mirror of showing you what you really are ashamed of and if you just become complacent and keep living with it then your luck is like all right i'm gonna go on a smoke break call me when you have your act together so it happens it accelerates it really fast and so it seems like there's about a week of really doing a lot of shame clearing for people and then they come out of that and the work that, like the folks I just did work for in December, they're going to notice a huge difference in June and July in their life. It takes about that long because there's a lot of things that have to go into place. But 
even by the end of December, I've talked to a couple this morning actually, and they're like, holy crap, I don't know what you did, but I actually had some bills just disappear. And I was like, no, they probably didn't disappear. They probably arranged for you to make payments. And they're like, yeah, that. And I'm like, they didn't disappear then, but <laughs> they didn't disappear. I promise you're going to have to pay them. But then like uh, one of the uh, people that I was talking to was like, this guy called me back. I didn't think he'd call me back. And I was like, you're worthy of being called back. You're an amazing, amazing guy. You deserve for the guy to call you back. So um, it's different, but I noticed that there's some deep connections with shame and things like that. And so that magic and that technology is about clearing that and getting people down to the the diamond, you know, of what they truly desire. And that's luck work. So I do it for myself. And, uh, there's a whole lot of the first two years I really focused on it were probably exhausting. Well, they were exhausting, but probably not the worst years of my life. But man, I thought, I'm just going to put that on the shelf. And luck was like, no, we're not. And so I, I made a huge commitment to always be honest with myself. And that really shifted my luck. And if your listeners, if that's the one thing you need to change your luck is you 100% have to be honest with yourself. Can't You can't tell yourself a fib about, if I eat those peaches out of the can, I'm not going to change my blood sugar. Or if I kiss this guy at the bar, my girlfriend will never know. Yeah, no, it'll, it'll find out. So you have to be honest with what you really want and what your desire is. And then your shame about it will come up in your life and you just clear it. As soon as it starts happening, you just so acknowledge it and go, yeah, I'm done with this. I'm done with this lesson. And it really does shift it. But I do do those rituals to help seal the deal. And um, when people get the, I do make kind of like a mojo hand or a charm for them. When they get it in the mail, they love it. They're like, this is like my best friend. It's really weird. Like, I actually feel like it's like, don't go down that road. Or, yeah, today's the day to go apply for that job. They're like, they get a really heightened sense of their intuition. And that, I think that's where that idea of it amplifying comes in. So. I apologize. And we have sirens going by. So I don't know if that's coming through. Because we're on fire. We're on fire. This interview's on fire. Yeah, something that struck me while you were talking was how luck, you know, I picture luck almost as a spirit. Um, yes. I'm less goddess-oriented or deity-oriented, but I view them as powerful spirits. But luck seems to walk hand-in-hand hand with truth. Yes. Uh, you know, I that, that image of that painting, uh, truth crawls out of the well, it climbs out of the well. And I feel like not that that was pretty drastic, but at the same time, I picture right, if you want luck, you also have to have truth because you're going to hold a mirror. And then what are you going to do? You know, well, it's crazy because I, I actually printed that picture, truth coming out of her well. I printed that and put it as a representation of 2021 for me. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. this last year was like one of the heaviest years I've had. It was a bittersweet year. So we had a lot of death in the family, but we also had a lot of really good stuff happen. So it was like one of those years where you just have to sit and be present in the moment. You can't. And I think the pandemic is making people feel that way a little bit too. Absolutely. Um, I've noticed people have really stopped planning for major things. 
they're planning in three months at a time. I saw that shift happen with my clients, but also with even employers back in April of 2020. They're like, well, let's just plan for three months at a time. And it didn't happen to society collectively. It happened to employers. But then I noticed that my clients this year in 2021, they're like, oh, I just want to do this for 30 days. Like they were really strict with their timelines and usually they were pretty flexible. So I thought, hmm, they're all worried. They're worried like, what if I get sick? I have done a lot of work for people to just be at peace in their heart because they're just scared. There's a weird fear going on. I think um, everybody needs to take a step back and go, wait a second. Am I living, am I making decisions based in fear or am I making decisions based in alignment of where I know I'm going to be? So, because both sides, both sides, you know, of the situation, the politicized pandemic is, is it, we should be listening to our doctor, not, not the news. Right. So, so yeah, for those listening, what would be maybe some stones or herbs that might be associated with luck? Okay. Well, um, funny enough practices well, sorry, any of sure no I, I can get into a lot of different things <laughs> I, i'm actually i'm in the middle of making a wreath to hang on my front door that's something that people can do people putting a horseshoe above their door to bring luck in the house there's the argument should it, it face up you knew my next question <laughs> so it depends on where you're from that's what i'm going to say and you really should this is one of those things that's an ancestral charm you should consider where your ancestors are from and what they would do and ask around. So if your ancestors are from Ireland and Scotland and, and Norway and that the Northern European group, it'll go up. If your family is from Italy and and not all of Italy, <laughs> there's some parts of Italy this isn't true for and some parts of the Middle East, it will go down. So, and then some of them make you have to have one in all four directions facing out. Okay. So, um, I have um, one grandparent who believed that you were supposed to hammer it down into the ground, and one who believed that you hung it above your door open like a cup mm-hmm. so that it would pour down upon you. Um, what I do know is you do need to run a red thread through all the holes in it for it to activate. Mm-hmm. So, okay. and you can hang it that way. Um, and it's funny because people who are horsemen, see me being in Texas, I know this, you tie a red ribbon on a horse's tail, it's braided, and that lets everybody know that it bites. So, luck can bite. <laughs> <laughs> so I tell people that. But um, I, the people who have been my long-term clients, I've told them to make a honey jar at the new year for everybody in the house. And since you're really related to the hearth and the home, I think this is really a great idea. So you start with buying some honey and um, we carry it forward. So we carry a spoonful forward every year out of that honey jar. But people put their wishes in there. I usually recommend, um, I have uh, an enormous lucky root that's about, about the size of my palm of my hand. It's huge. But I, I don't recommend that root. I don't recommend people buying that root because it's an endangered species plant. Mine comes from years and years and years ago, and I traded knowledge with somebody to get that root. But you could get any of the herbs that you grow in your backyard. Rue is great for protection, but some people also believe that it's a lucky a lucky thing. Basil 
huge bay leaves, huge. Of course, the four-leaf clover. So carnelian is the stone of luck. That's why I used to talk to museum uh, curators and talk to them about burial finds. And they would have little tubes of carnelian beads in there. And I'll be like, what was that connected to? Was it connected to a leather sack? Was it connected to an animal charm? And they would kind of look at me like, how did you know that? And I'm like, because this is something that's pretty universal. It's in a lot of burial zones and it's for luck. The Egyptians used carnelian for luck for years and years. And uh, you'd see a lot of carnelian and amber um, in the northern areas of Europe. In Africa, carnelian is used for luck. So it's one of those go-to stones. Um, I see people wearing carnelian bracelets and if I do palmistry with them or something, I'll ask them, can I bless your carnelian? Because, and they'll always call me and they'll go, I don't know what you did, but it was like the best day. And I was like, it's like liquid luck from Harry Potter. No kidding. So carnelian is a great stone, but I'll tell people, write your wishes and put it in the honey jar, put the carnelian in there, put the roots that you want. Um, breathe over those roots. And I know it's a time of pandemic, but I truly do believe in the sacred breath. And if you're family, you're family, you know, we're all going to contaminate each other. <laughs> so breathe into it. And then I light a candle and we really are big on Sunday dinner and my family and stuff. So it's a good way to make people come home and reconnect to the blood in the family. But the little kids love it because they're like, can I light the candle? I'm like, yes, you can light the candle. And then they'll say like, this is for all the luck in the whole house. And then the teenagers are like, yay. And they'll light the candle, but they still are engaged in lighting that. And they're keeping the flame for the family. And that's something that people really do love. It's a talking point if you put it into a really beautiful jar. And it's a tradition that you can share with your neighbors and they start doing it too. And you start seeing honey jars other places. And so I've done sugar jars too. It just kind of depends on the family and what they wanted to do that year. So that's something that your listeners could do. I'm making this wreath, go back to the wreath. You know how I am, I'll just get off and start talking about whatever. So I have all these charms that people have sent me over the years, like little charms that you wear on a bracelet or something. Mm-hmm. And I'm at like hundreds. <laughs> and for the longest time I had this um, golden heart of Mary that you could open and you could put wishes in. And I hung charms off of it. Well, it fell out of the ceiling. It got so heavy. So I was like, what am I going to do now? So I had one of somebody sent me a four leaf clover uh, wreath. And so I'm sewing all of those charms into that wreath. And I'm going to hang it on our front door. That's neat. With the intention that people who even stand in front of it get a wash of luck on them. So I like that. I I try to change my wreaths with the seasons. So I think I may be adding something on my wreaths now. I like that a lot. I love that. Yeah, because, you know, I'm, some of these, I'm like, I have no idea what this little trinket is for, but the lady was like, this is good luck for you. And I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> I'll cute. take it. Now, did you eat uh, black eyed peas? Are you going to eat black eyed peas on the New Year's? I am making black eyed pea chili. Okay. Is that, sure. um, is that, where did that come from? Do you happen to know? It's something we've that, done, but I actually, I believe the slaves brought it from Africa. Um, not that it needed to be eaten on New Year's, but that they brought the recipes related to that. With them, I see a lot of black eyed peas recipes 
that originate in South Carolina. So it makes me wonder if it didn't come from there. And then my madrina is from Puerto Rico and she has like this whole other black IP story that you eat them on your birthday and New Year's. Okay. So and I'm like, is that a Puerto Rican thing? I'm not really sure. So, um, but with the Irish that were also in the South and the slaves, when those two cultures connected, you end up with ham, a big old ham bone in the, the black eyed peas, because ham was an essential part of the the culture in Ireland. And the hog father at Christmas, by the time Christmas it was over, that's a week of eating an enor enormous ham. You have this huge ham bone. What the heck are you going to do with it? Oh, let's put it in the black eyed peas. It makes sense. So I think they're connected. And I am making a black eyed chili, black eyed pea chili yeah. for, um, it's supposed to be really cold here. So I'm hoping to do that, but I got to have that Texas chili in there oh, that for the good. new year. I never thought about that then because black eyed peas, I used to not like them and now I do, but chili sounds yummy. So I may be stealing that too. You're just giving all kinds of ideas. Well, I may have to, I'll type up the recipe. It's a family recipe for my husband. Oh yeah. So I'll send it too. to you. Oh yeah. Here. <laughs> well, um, what, what do, I'm going to ask a question and challenge you. Do you remember the first spell you cast? Thinking back, or one of the first spells, maybe if it's yes. not the first. I do remember, and it was for my mom. I was four and a half years old, and I was learning how to sew. And I sewed a pin cushion for her that had five colors on it. And funny, they happen to match the five colors that are most connected to paganism or witchcraft. Anyway, I, um, I sewed it for her and I took it outside and I showed it to the sun at noon because that was the important time of the day to me because cartoons came on an hour later. So <laughs> my life revolved around cartoons. But I took it outside, I showed it to the sun and I remember whispering over it that every time my mom poked a pin in it, she would think of me. Aww. And because I didn't get to see her very often, she was a workaholic. And so she was a quilter as well. So uh, my parents got a divorce years, years, years later. And um, I was an adult by then and married. And I was looking through a box of stuff that my parents had packed up and that pin cushion was in there. And my mom grabbed it and she goes, you know, every time I look at this, I think of you. And I was like, you should poke a pin in it. <laughs> <laughs> and she goes, I just didn't ever want to poke a pin in it because I didn't want to mess it up. But I redid it for her a couple of years later uh -huh. and gave it to her as a Christmas gift. And I can tell when she's been quilting now. She does use it for that because I start getting text messages with weird memes and crazy emoji cons <laughs> and all kinds of stuff. I'm like, oh, my mom must be quilting right now. So the spell's still in it. But yeah, I was probably about four and a half. I was before it was before kindergarten. I know that. Wow, wow, that's so neat. That's so neat. Were there any books when you were starting out that really helped you on your way? And you may or Everything may not. Everything Crowley now. wrote. Everything Alistair Crowley wrote. That's the ceremonial magician in me, okay? So, and almost everything that Israel Regarding wrote. So I had all of their books for the longest time. Um, but, you know, I I still go back to Scott Cunningham's Herb Encyclopedia. Yeah. That man was highly gifted and a treasure to uh, all of us. Yeah. So um, when I get stuck, 
at this point, you know, I've got my go-to herbs and I've got things that I like to do, but sometimes I want to shake it up. And I'll be like, well, you know, let's go check out what Scott has to say about this. <laughs> so right. I still, I still um, use, yeah, his encyclopedia books on the herbs and the stones and the different stuff because he really did his research on it. Um, yeah. When he wanted to, there was nothing out there at the time. Whenever he started writing this, there was nothing. I mean, Starhawk was working on her book and Z Budapest was working on her book, but you know, the community was like, oh, Z Budapest is all only for women and feminists and mm -hmm. shut the door on that. And Scott, you know, he wasn't going to be that greatly published because he was gay and nobody wanted, you know, wanted that out and i was like are oh, you got to be kidding me our community was so completely open and there were no boundaries so and i think that i'm really glad that he's still the anchor in a lot of people's libraries that he, you know if you go into someone's house and you don't see one of his books you're like oh are you a millennial <laughs> i don't mean that as a bad slight to millennials because i love millennials right. i love where they're taking us and i love that they've shifted our consciousness to believing that we deserve better than than what we've been getting right right well how about we wrap up with one final question what okay. advice would you give to someone wanting to start practicing witchcraft please don't watch witch talk on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> that drives me crazy i mean quite honestly I clean up more messes over stuff that people come to me with saying that they've gotten bad luck from watching a TikTok video that now haunts them. And I'm like, oh, that's such shit. So, you know what? I, I would recommend what I went through. I found one person and Mabel was that one person that I could talk to and go through stuff. And she would test my skills. She would be like, let me see you cast circle. And then she'd be like, that was awful. Or she'd say, did you feel that? Because the performance was theatrical, but did you feel it? Where are you feeling it at? And having that mentor, teacher, person there to question you about whether or not you're embodying your magic, whether you're living your magic, I think is essential. And we're losing it because there's so much shit on the internet. Right. There's great stuff on the internet too. Don't get me wrong, because uh, sacred texts, that used to be my go-to uh, back when AOL was the only thing you could, you know, get. I'm that old. But um, yeah, there's nothing that can replace the one-on-one -on -one time with a person. And you test the teacher too, because you're like, I don't understand it. So they have to step back and go, well, how am I teaching this? Right, right. Mm -hmm. So, so find, us, find someone who's open to it and don't beg. <laughs> But right. don't get discouraged because a lot of us came from that tradition where you have to ask three times before mm -hmm. we can take a student. Okay. So, I forgot about that, actually. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have, I've had people over the years that after I said no the first time, never heard from them again. And there's a reason for that. If they're that easily discouraged, their spell work will be shit. Right. They're not ready to. Mm -mm. Maybe later, but yeah. Nope. You have to ask three times. It's that third time that really lets us know you mean it. There, there's Because the first two times you're like, mm, okay, they said no. And then that determination to ask a third time is humbling. Your ego's out of the way and you're willing to accept a no one more time. But most of the time we always say yes. 
Um, the Botanica here, which I'm not sure if you've gone to yet, but there's- I don't, I don't even know where it's at. Yeah, so I will connect you there, but uh, Jaime from El Salvador, but um, he's my current teacher, but um, it took two years before he would take me as a student of asking and asking and asking. <laughs> I probably wore him down. He's like, all right, fine. But it's funny, he does test me. He puts me on the spot, you know, when clients come in, what do you feel? I'll walk in the door, uh -huh. he'll hand me something and I have, I don't, I know nothing about what happened in the conversation before. And I'm like, oh, don't do that to me. Don't do that to me. Yeah. But it's good, isn't it? It's good. It, it pushes you outside that comfort zone to really try to tap into something more. Than yeah, used to. absolutely. I know um, I just graduated out of student. She'd been with me for about a year and a half. You know, the pandemic delayed a lot of us getting to meet and stuff. But um, we were able to work it out. But yeah, I was really, I tried really hard to have skills days once a month with her and go through her work. And she's a better nurse for it. She's able to really tell whether or not the patients were, you know, what they were going through and who they really needed to call, that kind of stuff. And I saw her grow as a person. And I'm, I'm really glad that she opted to go in that direction and to go and be a healer in her work. But yeah, just tell people, if I had to tell people, don't get discouraged the first time you ask. You have to ask three times for us old timers. So. Uh, Flora, you mentioned having clients. If someone were interested in possibly uh, making use of your services, how would they get a hold of you? Or how oh. or do you take public clients? Or Yeah, I take public clients. Um, Mostly, most of the time it's by word of mouth that I see people. Um, I mean, I have people that will come from Vegas. <laughs> they've been gamblers for years and they've done mess themselves up. I'm like, this has nothing to do with your luck. It has to do with how much you drink. But anyway, so <laughs> um, no, you, they can reach me on my email. It's just floraelmore at gmail.com. They can call me and I'll give you my phone number. I don't care if it's out in the world. That's 918-964-2340. And I'm on Instagram as Flora Elmore. I totally take responsibility for what I put out there. So, and I'm out. I mean, the people that don't need to know seem to not see it. So I must have put some weird invisibility spell up on my name, but the people who need it find it. It's fantastic. Well, Flora, thank you so much. It's so nice just to reconnect with you. I, just I know. Hang out with you and. Well, come on over. Just yeah. come on over, bring everybody. So if I was there, I'd give you a great big hug. I really miss Absolutely. you. I know. I, I'm so glad now you live close to me. So we definitely <laughs> have to do something together. So. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Tell all the guys hello for me and tell them I, I miss them. I will. Okay. I will. All right. Well, have a great rest of the evening then. I will. And thank you take you. care of yourself. Bye. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you want to continue listening, please consider joining our Patreon or visiting us on Facebook. Until next time, this is PAX. If you've enjoyed this podcast, would you be willing to help us out? Things you can do are write a positive review on Apple Podcasts or share the podcast on your social media or, or tell others about it or consider subscribing to our Patreon, which goes towards better equipment for this podcast in whatever way you can help. 
Thank you.